0: that you would heal that, and uh, that you would restore his full oxygen level um, to him. And we pray as well right now for those that are meeting downstairs, the youth that are meeting in the uh, Patch Club and in the Anchored Youth Class. We pray for each uh, one that's helping. Thank you so much for people that are willing to help and serve um, in those meetings. And I just pray that uh, you would... Use, the, 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 use your word and, and just the different things that are happening there to bring honor and glory to you. Bless our study tonight as we continue to look through these, uh, it's, more, it's more than a name, uh, Bible lessons in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark, the gospel according to Mark chapter 2. Brother Kim, did we already hand out all the notes no, none none left. Okay, good. We used them up. That's good. Mark chapter two, this is lesson number five. And we've been going through this series more than a name. And so each of these lessons has to do with Bible stories where the name of the individual is not listed, but there's much we can learn from the individual, or in this case tonight, four men without a name four men without a name we'll be reading from mark 2 in just a moment let me read to you john twelve twenty four. jesus said verily verily i say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die it bringeth forth much fruit So until that corn dies, until that kernel of wheat dies, it cannot bring forth fruit. But when it dies, it can bring forth fruit. So dying to self is the key in your life and mine. If we're going to live for Christ, you can't live for Christ and self at the same time. Does that make sense? We we talked about this actually on Friday night at RU because the last fruit of the Spirit is temperance. 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 I remember growing up in church and hearing about temperance, and I'm not saying this was wrong to say this, but the emphasis was placed on temperance is self-control. How many of you have ever heard that before? Temperance is self-control. Yeah. It's not necessarily wrong, but I don't think it's best. Truly, temperance is spirit control. Spirit control. I don't want to be controlled by myself. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. Spirit. Because you never can tell what myself is going to choose. But I can tell you what God's Spirit's going to choose all the time. It's going to choose what's according to the Word of God. And what's best for me, honestly. And what brings God the most glory. And so, in Mark chapter 2, we're going to learn about four men who were determined to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. That's a good friend, isn't it? Someone willing to get you or me to Jesus, whatever it takes. Well, that's what it took for them. Uh, It took a lot. It took dying to self. The men in this story did not think about themselves on this particular day, and I would think it was that way more than just that day. If they had not cared for the need of their friend, more than likely, they could have individually found their way inside this meeting, and you'll see what I mean in a moment, and been able to get really close to where the Lord Jesus was, or at least... Get in the house, so to speak, and get in and be a part of the meeting. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Straightway, many were gathered together. So it was, it was standing room only. You know, there was no room in the inn, okay? There was no room in the house, Everybody in town, it seems, were making their way because they heard that the miracle worker was there. They heard that Jesus was there. So they made their way to the house. In verse number 2, the Bible says, "...in so much that there was no room to receive them." No, not so much as about the door. Couldn't even get in the door. It was packed. And he preached the word unto them. So... A packed house, full of people, can't even get through the door, and Jesus is preaching a message. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And so there's your four friends with no name. There's your four friends that are bringing their friend, four friends, bringing one friend who is unable to walk, who's unable to get there, they're bringing him to the meeting. We're going to look at that in detail in just a moment. These four men worked together. These more four men banded together. And as a team, a great miracle was actually witnessed in this passage of Scripture. The Bible talks about a critter. Maybe you've heard of this critter before. It's called a locust. Have any of you ever ate locusts and wild honey? Eaten locusts and wild honey? Okay. John the Baptist were here, he would demonstrate. He's not here, and I'm not named John, so I'm not going to eat locusts and wild honey either. Okay? But locusts are like this. The Bible speaks of locusts in Proverbs chapter number 30 and verse number 27, which says, locusts have no king. Yet go they forth all of them by bands. Okay, so we're not talking about bands like this, okay? Not that kind of band, okay? It means they stick together, they swarm. Remember in the Old Testament, when the ten plagues, one of the ten plagues was locusts, and the locusts came into Egypt, and all the green that was left, which there wasn't really a whole lot left anyway, but all the green that was left, the locusts just came in as one big swarm and just had a feast. Well, that's what Solomon writes about the locusts. They have no hierarchy. They have no organization. They have no association, king or leader. But they do have a cause. They have a cause. I don't know if there was a leader amongst these four men or not. Maybe there was. Maybe there was one of them that said, hey, let's do... We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what? These four men had... They had a cause. Something motivated them to do the unordinary. Something motivated them to do the unorthodox. Maybe that's a better word. Something motivated them to do what we're going to read about here in just a moment. They had a cause. They banded together and accomplished a task that could not have been done otherwise. So if one locust flies in tonight in here, it's probably not going to bother us too much. But if a swarm of locusts were to somehow come flying through that window right now, it would probably probably influence our meeting to end rather quickly. The same is what we're looking at here. If it was one of these men, this miracle would have never happened. So these four unnamed men, number one in your outline there, if you are taking notes, number one is an unselfish compassion. An unselfish compassion. This is the predominant factor in a selfless life. 1 Peter 4.8 1 Peter 4.8 God has given you, if you're saved tonight, you have a fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit in the order of the nine fruit Is what? Who can tell me? Love. Love. It's the first one. Okay? But actually, all of them, all nine of them, come as a result of the first one. You could say love is the catalyst for every one of those. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If you take love out, kind of all the rest of them kind of fall away. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.8, And above all things, above all things, that's the key statement in this verse. Look for key statements when you read the Bible. I try to do this. I don't always catch them. But try to look for key statements when you read God's word. Above all things. You read something like that. There's other places. How about 1 Corinthians 13.13? And now abideth faith, hope, charity. What is the next three words? But the greatest." When you read "but the greatest," it's like, you know, a neon light should go on. Faith is good, Hope is good. But Paul says, "Hello, the greatest of these is charity." Or love. Peter said, Above everything, above everything, have fervent, not just charity, but have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity, charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Charity can overcome a multitude of selfish conceit. Charity can overcome a, 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 a disagreement between a husband and a wife. Charity can overcome a disagreement between, or even a, 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 a disagreement that grows uh, toward an animosity or whatever toward a brother or sister, even in Christ. Charity can fix it. And, and these four men, they had charity. These four men had compassion. These four men had another level of it. It was unselfish compassion. When the love of Christ constrains you, when the love of Christ motivates me, when the love of Christ constrains us, it will be much easier to take eyes off of me and live for someone else. Now, I would rather live for me. That's what the flesh would rather do i'd rather live for me and if you'd be honest you'd rather live for you but that's not the christ life that's not why christ died died on the cross was buried and rose again he didn't do that so i could live for myself did that so i could live for him by serving others letter a a selfishness denied a selfishness denied The Bible has predicted loving self would be very evident in the last days. uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, God's word says, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own what? Lovers of their own selves. Let's look at a couple verses and compare them. Look at Philippians chapter 1. I really love the book of Philippians. Paul writing there to the church at Philippi and notice what he says in Philippians 1:21. Philippians 1:21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1:21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's compare that to Philippians 2.21. So that's Philippians one let Let's compare that to Philippians 2.21. Notice what it says there. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Well, when you line those two verses up side by side, that's really the story of our life. Is it for me to for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain or is it going to be I'm going to seek my own and not the things of Christ? We will be a living for we will be living for Christ Christian or seeking our own Christian. Which one will we choose? I trust tonight that we desire to be a living for Christ Christian. Not living for self. Letter B. We see a service delivered. A service delivered. These men were not concerned about self. They were concerned about service. Denying myself naturally leads to looking for ways to serve. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's well." In other words, seeking to help someone else be productive. It doesn't mean necessarily only wealthy. But we're living our lives to help someone else be profitable, if you will. Not necessarily just so I can be profitable. This was the secret to the Apostle Paul's life. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 12.15. 2 Corinthians 12.15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He didn't say I'm going to spend and be spent for me. I'm going to be spending and be spent for you, the people at Corinth. And then he said, though the more abundantly... I love you, the less I be loved. So he's saying, I when, if, when I love you more, I love me less. That's really the Christian life. Loving people more, loving self less. Now that's a battle. That's a battle every day. But a battle that can be won if we yield that control over to the spirit and not to self. So number one... Is an unselfish compassion. These four men had it. Number four, number two. Four men, but we're on number two. A unified cooperation. Now, I I would imagine that one of these men could not have gotten or made it possible for this man to get to Jesus, they needed help. So one wasn't going to be enough. Two, you know, who knows. But anyway, there was four men that helped. It wasn't a one-man job. Letter A A in our outline says, an individual inadequacy. Mark chapter 2, verse 2, we read it earlier, says, and straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. There was no way to get this man to Jesus. He couldn't get in the door. Remember, he's laying on a bed. He's laying on a cot. He can't move. He's paralyzed. That is a very hefty task. Dead weight, you know. Weight is one thing, but this is dead weight, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, he couldn't do help at all. So the task was great. The work was great. So the work of the Lord is great too. It's not not sufficient for one man. It's not sufficient for one lady. The work of the Lord takes a group working together. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of who? God. When we're following God, when we're following the will of God, it could be one following God and you've got a majority. But how much greater is it for a whole church congregation to say, okay, we're following God. We're following God's will in this matter. We're going to pray. We're going to wait. We're going to trust the Lord, but we're going to serve the Lord together. That's what happened here. It wasn't just one man and the Lord. It was four men working together for a common goal. It was an But they were, as an individual, they were inadequate. Letter B, there was an increased industry. An increased industry. What are we talking about here? God understood the principle of synergy long before man discovered it. What is synergy? Synergy is the principle that two parts are able to do more together than a combined total of their individual parts. Working together. Ecclesiastes four nine, Solomon wrote, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for all their labor. Paul wrote in Philippians striving together for the faith of the gospel, Philippians one twenty seven. Teamwork. And that's that increased industry. Striving together. Acts chapter 2. Let's turn over there quickly. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Here's the first local church in Jerusalem. Acts 2, verse 44. And all that believed were together. They were together. They were on the same page. And had all things common. Sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. They continuing daily with one accord. With one accord. It's not talking about a car <laughs> okay it's talking about with one mind an agreement and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple continue daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Again, there's another key word, right? When we're reading the Bible, try to find the key words. And right now, we're talking about this increased industry. We're talking about this synergy that comes uh, when you have two equal parts working together. They have more uh, energy, if you will, than each of them working apart. The church was working together. Those words that stand out to us, one accord, singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. There was an increased industry because they were working together. So number one was an unselfish compassion. Number two was an unified cooperation. Number three. We see some unstoppable creativity. We're back in Mark chapter 2 now. Some unstoppable creativity. Letter A, here was a restraint. Here was a restraint. What does this mean? Look at verse number 3, Mark 2, 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. This is speaking about the crowd. You know, you can see these four guys, one on each corner, one, two, three, four. And they're bringing him, and they get all the way, and it's just all of a sudden a sea of people. They can't go any further. The crowd is there. They might be able to see the house. They might be able to even hear what's going on. Windows are open maybe or whatever. But they can't get any closer because of the crowd. Because the Bible says of the press. And so we see that there was a restraint. You see, this man on the bed needed a miracle. So getting to the wall of people, if you will, was great. I mean, they got him from home all the way to the wall of people, but that wasn't what he needed. He didn't need to just get to the wall of people and say, okay, this is a great activity, let's go home now. This man on the bed, he needed to get to the one who could heal him. And there was only one person who could do that, and he was in that house. And so they had to get him there. They had to work together to get him there. Do you think anybody else in that group waiting had needs? Yes or no? I would think so. I mean, you know, they came as well from from home, and maybe they even had physical needs too. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us, but I have to imagine that somehow there was at least one, but I think more than that, in that crowd of people there that day that were, you know, standing in that press, they had a need as well. They had a burden, they had a concern. They had something that brought them there. Now, maybe they were just there out of curiosity. Maybe they were just there because they hoped somebody was gonna, there was something that was gonna really happen that they had heard that had been happening in this in this area. And so, you know, let's go check it out. We had nothing else to do. Either way, a lot of people in Capernaum made it to this house. There was a restraint. They get there and, okay, I, I guess it's not meant to be, bud. I'm take, we're going to take you home. You know, sometimes when we're moving ahead for Christ, we'll come to a barrier. We'll come to a barrier. And you know what? Sadly, sometimes when we get to that barrier, now, sometimes they are there for a reason of stopping, slowing down, waiting. There are, there are good barriers. I'm not saying that there always isn't just a, you know, a clear path, but you know, almost every time there's going to be some kind of a barrier if you want to do something for God, because Satan doesn't say, you know, oh, great, they want to do something for God at Anchor Baptist. Okay, all barriers out of the way. Just let them come through. And we don't want to give Satan too much credit, because sometimes God allows barriers into our life too. And he puts a barrier in your life or a barrier in my life to see, let's see. Do they really have faith? Let's put a barrier there. And what we want to guard against is we want to guard against what these guys did not do, is when we come to a barrier in our life, we just say, "Oh, OK, well, I guess that's it. We're done. Got a barrier. You know, God specializes in, yes, sometimes bringing barriers into our life. But God specializes in helping us get through the barriers as well. Because when we get through the barrier, do you know what we have an opportunity to do? We have an opportunity to give God the glory. We have an opportunity to have our faith grow. When we go through a barrier, faith grows. I tell you that for sure. I've seen that in my own life. I am not a perfect example or a very good one for that matter. But I have been up to many barriers in my life, and I pray that I'll never get to... The barrier that does me in. I felt like I came to a few of those before. And the temptation is so great to just say, okay, this is it. This is Okay, no more. This barrier is too much. We're going to just pack it up. Just pack it up. That's it. These guys got there. That was a barrier. I mean, we're sweating right now. We just carried our buddy all the way from home. Man, we're sweating. We're tired. This is a barrier. We're going to have to bring you back tomorrow. That's not what they said. This was definitely a time of restraint and an opportunity to bring great discouragement and hindrance into their life. I don't want to see a roadblock. I don't want to see a barrier and give up. Let's look at Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. You know, this is, you know, here's the statement this is just too hard. I can hear my loving father. He'll be 75 in September, God willing. Welcome to life in a loving way. He's mellowed out a lot though now at this stage in life. He's a great grandpa now. He has to be mellowed out. Nobody says life's easy. At least in our right mind, (laughs) life's not easy. But Life is joyful. In the Lord. Life is joyful in the Lord. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 13. The slothful man saith, Who's the slothful man? He's the lazy man. What does the slothful man say? There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. (laughs) You imagine tomorrow morning, you get up, you look out your window, and right there in the middle of the street, somebody has dropped off their pet from Uganda. A lion. Sitting right there, you know. You know what you would do? You would do the same thing I would do. Man, where's my phone? <laughs> I got a picture of this thing. You know, I remember when we first started getting bears to our house in Coquitlam. I lived in the, I lived in BC for like fifteen over fifteen years. I'd never seen a black bear, and everybody, you know, bear. We have lots of bears. And finally, one day, we lived out there on Hornby Street for ten years. Finally, we heard this noise in our backyard. We opened up the screen. We opened up the sliding glass door on the back deck, back patio, and there was. Three of them. Like right there. Let's get the camera. Let's take a picture. Selfie with the bear. <laughs> yeah, right. There is a lion out here. I mean, what? Go back to Africa, lion. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to walk out there and sell that lion and grab and you know, try to pull a David, okay? Don't think you're David all of a sudden, guys, okay? My middle name's David. I'm going to walk out there and grab the lion by the, the mane, and we're just going to turn him inside out just like David did. Probably not be a good idea to try that. But eventually, somebody's going to have to do something about the lion. Do you get the scripture here? The slothful man says, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. That's all he does is say, there's a problem, there's a problem. Over and over again, there's an obstacle, there's an obstacle, there's an obstacle, but he doesn't do anything about it. Thank you, Captain Obvious, there's a lion. Eventually, we've got to do something about it. Eventually, we've got to call someone. I mean, good night. The, 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 the food delivery guys are not going to deliver food much longer. We've got to deal with the lion. I don't think it's a lion tonight, literally. But there could be something in my life and your life that we have to say, God, I don't even know what the solution is, God, but I'm going to yield to you in this matter. Help me to get through this restraintment. Help me to get through this obstacle, whatever it may be. So here was a restraint. Letter B, here was a resourcefulness. A resourcefulness. Restraint requires resourcefulness. Conflict can be the catalyst for creativity. We see creativity in this miracle. Back to Mark chapter 2. This was an unconventional strategy. Verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof. Okay, we're going in the back way. Most roofs in this time were flat. Okay? So before you think of this, more than likely this roof was not like this. It was flat. But still, this is not the conventional way. Doors are not on the roof. Typically. Doors are on the front, or maybe doors are on the back. And so the Bible says that they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. And when they had broken it up, so now they've tore a hole in the roof where Jesus was. They let down the bed whereon the sick of the palsy lay. A closed door doesn't necessarily mean that the door is locked and we cannot enter. The Apostle Paul saw an open door. 1 Corinthians 16 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. This was not a conventional way, but these men were of great resourcefulness. Letter C. Here was a resilience. Resilience. Okay, can you see this? taking place can you see this unfolding let's use our biblical imagination without google or youtube can you see them four men on each corner of the bed the mat whatever he's laying on they get there there's nowhere to go one of the four i guess the bible doesn't really tell us but somehow they get the great idea let's go around the back of the house and we're going to get on the roof and we're going to go from there and they get up there on the roof carry this man on their can you imagine on their way there that somebody surely over and over, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, I can see a, a, an 11-year-old. Nothing against 11-year-olds. I was there one time too. But you know, asking questions is a good thing actually when you're, when you're young and you learn things by asking questions. Can you see that 11-year-old who's walking beside them? Where are you going? What are you, what are you doing with him? Why are you going up there? You can't go up there. And over and over it goes. I mean, I'm sure they were questioned. Why are you tearing the roof? Why are you messing up with? Why are you disturbing the service? I mean, there, there's a meeting going on in there. Why are you disturbing it? I like what the apostle Paul wrote in Acts, or the God, or excuse me, Luke wrote in Acts chapter twenty. He says, "But none of these things." Acts twenty twenty four. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. A resilience. I wonder tonight are we resolved? Are we resilient? Are we committed? It was an unselfish compassion. It was a unified cooperation. It was an unstoppable creativity. And number four, it was a unique contribution. A unique contribution. The hole has been made. Everyone below them has dust or mortar or something fallen in, in their hair. And they're wiping it out of their hair or whatever probably the crowd has kind of cleared back a little bit the man is lowered down and look what it says in mark 2 verse 5 what a powerful statement when jesus saw and what's the next word there there would be who the four men not the man on the cot When he saw their faith, can you imagine? They're looking down, he's looking up. The man is down there, he's looking up when Jesus saw their faith. He said said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven me. The Bible indicates that it was faith that brought this great victory for the paralyzed man. Letter A, the increase of faith. The increase of faith. In Luke 17, 5, the disciples asked the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Now here's something to really consider tonight as we bring this lesson to a close in just a few minutes. Were they asking for more faith? You know, for the longest time I would have said yes to that. I'm not necessarily saying that is a wrong answer. But I think what we could look at is that they already had faith. And we could look at it this way that when Peter was walking on the water, think about this. When Peter was walking on the water, hello, walking on the water. Nobody else has that on their resume here, okay? Walking on the water. Do you think Peter had faith? Yes or no? Yeah, of course. What else would have caused him to get out of the boat? So it wasn't that he lost all faith and started to sink. It was more about the duration of his faith. In other words, his faith was short-lived. It was still there. But the duration of his faith, uh, it was the little part was not in the amount, but it was in the duration of the faith. I think we can relate to that because everybody here, we have faith tonight in the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. It's not that we have no faith, but our faith does, the duration of our faith is what is really is the problem. Again, that obstacle comes in and all of a sudden our faith is, it's gone. I mean, it's there, but it's gone because we're looking at the obstacle, not the, the one who can remove the obstacle. So the apostles did not need an increase in the amount of their faith. They needed an increase in the duration or the endurance of their faith. Here's something to consider. If the fire of our faith is down to a small, flickering light, this is the Word of God, right? This is God's Word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by thee. Word of God. You've got a little flickering of faith tonight. You take the Word of God and you fan, the fl- you fan that faith with the Word of God. And guess what happens? It, it's no longer just flickering. It can turn into an inferno once again that would bring Peter to walk out of a boat. Because Jesus said, come. That's all it took. Come. Be yourself. Okay. so may god help us in that so an increase of faith let her be the influence of faith the influence of faith this man in mark chapter 2 is healed not because of his own faith it would seem but because of the faith of these four unnamed men look down at verse number 11 please number 11 i say unto thee arise take up thy bed and go thy way into thy thine house Looking at verse number 5, we won't read it again because we just read it, but you look at verse 5 and verse 11. The faith of these four men affected this sick man as they brought him to Jesus. A lesson or so back, we saw the faith of Naaman's slave girl, and that affected Naaman toward his healing. Write this down in your heart or think about it. My faith affects others as well. My faith affects others as well. One very significant way our faith can affect others is through prayer. Some years ago, a young girl was very sick and not expected to recover. Because of her love for Jesus, she was troubled. that she had not been able to do more for him in her short life. Her pastor suggested that she make a list of people in their little town who needed Christ and pray that they might put their faith in him. She took the advice of the pastor, made the list and prayed often for each one. Sometime later, God began to stir a revival in that village where the girl lived. The girl heard of the people who were coming to Christ and prayed even more. As she reports, as she heard reports, she checked off the names of those who had been led to the Lord. After the girl's death, someone found her prayer list under her pillow with the names of 53 people, excuse me, 56 people. Every one of them had put their faith in Christ. The last one on the night before her death. Such is the power of definite, specific, fervent prayer, the influence of faith. Who might our faith influence tonight? Who might our faith influence this week? Matthew 17:20 says, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. May I encourage you tonight. Let's not grow weary. Let's not grow weary if you're at an obstacle. Maybe you've been carrying one side of the bed. And you've come and you see the crowd. And it's an obstacle. And you say... No chance. I want to encourage you. Don't drop the bed. Don't drop the bed. Keep carrying it. Keep asking the Lord. What do I do? I believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You say, Pastor Turner, I need help carrying this bed. Ask for help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The key is this is no time to turn around and, in the face of an obstacle. God's got a miracle for you, just like God had a miracle in Mark chapter 2. He's still doing miracles. He's not bound by 2023, he's not bound by the, the sin of, the, uh, of our world, not a bit. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Don't let the obstacle bring about a time of, that's it, I'm done. No, that's the time to say, okay, God, this looks, (laughs) I've not seen one like this before. I know you have. That's why I really love reading the Bible." Because I come across examples in here that aren't like mine, but they're very helpful. And we see what God did here. By the way, God doesn't just do them in here. He'll do them right in here as well. He's a miracle working God.